In Ephesians 4, verse 1, Paul is talking to us from prison. And he's begging us. He starts saying, I beg you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Pathfinders, adventurers, church family, we have a high calling. And you've listened to the Pledge and Law. That's what we want to live up to. And you know, if we do, as we do, by God's grace, as we do, we are going to be very different from the world. And we're going to be very different because we, in this world, are made, we were built, we were created for connection. Every one of us needs that. We need connection with God and we need connection with each other. And if we don't have that connection, we find it somewhere else with something else, generally. And as we look at the pledge in law, the adventurer pledge says to be kind, doesn't it? To be kind, to be true. And that builds up our relationships with each other. And it also says to be reverent. And that's about being able to listen to our Heavenly Father. And our Pathfinder Pledge, there's so much there. To daily seek his presence, to honour, love and respect our family. To be involved in our church. All of these things build connection. And surveys done year on year around the world. It's interesting, one question is asked, a lot of questions are asked, but one of the questions that is asked is if something happened to you, how many people could you call to help? How many people could you get on the phone and know that they would come? And do you know that number is going down every year? And about the same proportion to our house sizes are going up. Our world is becoming isolated, lonely, and disconnected. As I said, we're created for connection. And the sermonette today I've entitled, Should Church Be More Like a Hospital? About six months ago, I heard a song that I want to share with you in a minute. But before that, I've got two texts. One's from Luke 5.31, and it says, it's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. In Jesus' words. And then back to Ephesians 4, which is the most amazing chapter, people. Please go home and read it. It's about living the Christian life in unity and as one body, as Kingston was telling us in our story. But this text in Ephesians 4.25 says, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbours the truth for we are all parts of one body. So the, the um, clip that I'm going to show you that Danny's going to put on in a moment um, is a clip from Matthew West, and he sings a lot of wonderful contemporary Christian songs. This one's called Truth Be Told, and he, he grew up a preacher's kid. He knew all the right things to say, all the right things to do. Um, but he found that as he came to church, he was wearing a mask. He was saying he was fine when really 
he wasn't that fine. And he realised that other people were too because after he'd seen people at church and it all looked good, sometimes one of the youth would have self-harmed, maybe even suicided. Maybe a married couple would have broken up. And he thought, but they just said they were fine. They weren't fine. And when I heard the song about six months ago, it just I just kept listening to it and listening to it because it truly challenged me about what church should be and how we can make church something that's meaningful, how we can connect with each other. So I'd like you to listen to this clip and as you do, just listen for the line, should church be more like a hospital? You're perfect, but he wanted to point other people to a perfect God. The song meant so much to me for a lot of reasons, um, and mostly because I don't have it all together, and I'm not perfect, and I'm sick of saying that I'm fine or hearing that other people are fine when, when we're not. but mostly because I can stand here unashamed because God has made a way for me in my life and I truly believe that he can make a way for each of us and lead us to abundant life through him. Because I want to live a life which is worthy of God's calling and as part of the body of Christ, we need to do that together because as Kingston said, it's no point us all being singers there's no point us all being preachers. We all need to do what God has gifted us with to the best of our ability and for God, as our, you know, with God as our head working together. So I used to be a nurse. I suppose I still am, but I haven't worked as a nurse for a long time. And so I thought a bit about what it actually means for a church to be more like a hospital because it's, it's great to say these things. It sounds good, right? Um, but what does it actually mean? How, how do we do that? Um, and as I thought about it, these are some of the thoughts that came to my mind. You know, who, who belongs in a hospital? And it's those who have come because they're sick, right? It's those who need surgery, the ones that are working to, to bring healing to other people. They're not the ones that are healthy and not working. Even people who are visiting a hospital are there because they want to encourage the ones that are getting better. So it's really a place of action. It's a busy place. So I tried to hone that down a little bit because that's kind of a lot to talk about in one day. And so I thought, you know what? If you just brought it down to just a few components, People who belong in a hospital are people who go there for diagnosis, to find out what's wrong. They go there for surgery, they go there for recovery, or they go there to serve. So let's unpack each of those just a little bit. Diagnosis. It was September 2017, and I got one of those phone calls that you never want to get and you can never be prepared for. It was Joshua on the phone, my son, and he said, Mum, Poppy's having a stroke. Nana's called the ambulance. She wants you to come home. 
You've got to believe we're in the car, Martin and I coming home moments later. And as we drove back from the Blue Mountains, we got the updates. The ambulance had come. My father was in hospital. He was having a scan. It was confirmed that he had a massive stroke. He was given an injection that could only be given in the first few hours of having a stroke that was to be effective. And I thank God that my mum saw what was happening, that he was diagnosed and treated so quickly. Diagnosis in the spiritual world. Jesus says, we'll know the truth and the truth will set us free. Sometimes we don't want to hear that we've got a massive stroke. Sometimes we'd rather just close our eyes. But if we bring ourselves to God and we listen to his word and we listen to his spirit and we let others give us input, you know, hey, dad didn't really want to hear that his face was dropping and he might be having a stroke. He said, I'm fine. That's exactly what he said, I'm fine. But he wasn't. And it was mum who pointed it out. Sometimes it's going to be one of your church family that point out that, Really, what you're doing is not fine. And, and you, need, you need to know it and then you need to do something about it. And that's where surgery comes in. And, you know, I worked for a while on the cancer ward. And sometimes you'd see the lucky ones. The lucky ones were the ones that would come in after a very early diagnosis. And they'd have surgery before it had spread throughout their body, before it was too late to get rid of it because sometimes all you could do was send them to palliative care. But the lucky ones would go to surgery and they'd have it cut out and they'd keep living. They'd go home to their families. In the spiritual world, Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, take it out and throw it away. Did he mean it literally? I don't think so. I think what he meant was sometimes we need drastic action. There is things that are going on in our lives, in our church, in our families that are not going to end well. In fact, if we don't get rid of them, they're going to kill us. It sounds severe, but it's true. People come to a hospital for recovery. And it never ceased to amaze me how after a surgery, people would come back and they looked terrible. I'm, I'm going to tell you, their colour was really bad. They were in pain. It was, you know, it, it, they'd gone through a lot. And then hours later, they started to revive. And within a few days, they were walking around, depending on what surgery they'd done. And, you know, they recovered. Hospital is a place to get better. You don't go in there to stay sick. And Jesus has promised us that if we come to him and we let him into our lives, he will give us rest because we are weary. We're weary of this world. We're weary of the sin. We're weary of being disconnected. And he offers us rest. I think one of the best things about being Christian for me is um, something that Christy introduced to me once, and it's called the God Shelf. It's something we can all use and, and it's something that's kind of a way of thinking of things and that's that when we've done, when we're confronted with a problem and we've taken it to the Lord, we've seen what we can do about it, we've done that, we've done all we can, we can then put it on the God shelf. We can leave it in his hands and when we do, the peace 
that's available to us passes all understanding. And lastly, a person in the hospital is there for service. And as I said, I worked in a hospital and there was a lot of people working. There was people who cooked the meals. They were people who did the laundry so that we had clean sheets as nurses to put on each day on the beds. There were the people who wheeled the patients down to surgery. There were the people that put them to sleep so that they could have the surgery. It was a busy, busy place. And when Jesus saves us, he doesn't call us to a life of inactivity. Rest, yes, absolutely. We can rest knowing that we're saved. We can rest our minds in peace. But it's not inactive. So looking at the text a little bit closer, it says, Come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And you know what? A yoke is something that joins two animals together to work. And often we will be working with our fellow believers. We won't be working just alone. We work as the body of Christ. And Christ is the one that binds us together. Another verse from Ephesians 4, um, as I said, I just love this chapter. When I read it, preparing this, I, I, I seriously considered just reading the chapter and sitting down. It's amazing. Please go home and read it, but I'm not going to just do that. So Ephesians 4.16 is, from, the, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So it's about being joined together, it's about working together, it's about building each other up. And I think it's a beautiful model that, um, that we can follow. There's a book by Johan Hari and he wanted to investigate how to help people with addiction, people in his family, because he looked and said, you know what, what we're doing is not working. It's just not working. And so he looked around for something that did work. And after speaking to a lot of different people, he did speak to the people in Portugal. And Portugal did a very interesting thing many years ago. They decided that what they were doing wasn't working, which was putting drug addicts in prison um, and making it very, very hard for them ever to come back into the community. That's pretty much what we do all over the world. But Portugal decided this wasn't working and they wanted to do something different. So the opposition and the government got together and they called in a panel of experts, psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers, everyone that they could think of that might be able to help. And they asked for a recommendation. And the recommendation was, you know, a bit radical. It was take the laws off drugs. I mean, that's not, you know, that's not what we kind of think is a great idea. But they said, this is a very, very important thing. Every cent that you used to spend enforcing, punishing, shaming, anyone that's used drugs, every cent of that must be used for job creation, for integrating into society, for giving micro loans to people who are trying to get back into society. So someone who was a mechanic um, before, they might 
go with them, help them find a job and pay half of their wage for a year to get them established. And when they did that, they found that people had a sense of purpose, that they had a reason to get up in the morning. And he thought that was amazing. And he looked at the studies that had kind of driven both of these approaches and they were both done on rats, which, you know, we know rats are not exactly people, but um, they seem to work quite well for studies. And the model that was used for what we do most around the world is a model of a rat who was put in a cage and that cage had water and it had another thing of water with a drug in it. And what they found was that rat would just keep taking the drug and taking the drug until basically it killed itself. And so they went, well, obviously we've got to get the drugs out because that's what's going to happen. But there was a professor, Professor Alexander, and he looked at the model and he said, something's wrong with this. I wonder what would happen if we made the cage very different. And so he, he made what he called Rat Park. And he put toys, he put food, he put other rats and walls and tunnels and everything in there. And it was amazing to everyone because the rats were no longer interested in the drug water. They actually would prefer to play. They would prefer to, to do all the things that made that rat park interesting. And so his conclusion was we've got to connect, you know, well, as we said at the beginning, we are built for connection. We're not built for isolation. And if we want to live fulfilled lives, then we need to be looking after each other. His conclusion was that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, but it's human connection. You know, in a church that can be a challenge, can't it? can be a challenge, but I think if we work together, if we pray for each other, if we take the time to get to know each other and remember that Jesus said it's not for the healthy but the sick, then things start to become a bit clearer. But just remember that if you went to a hospital needing treatment and you said, you know what, I'm, I'm all good. I don't want to be diagnosed. I don't want to see the doctor. I'm, I'm, just, here for, I'm just here for the food. Um, I'm just here for a bit of a snooze and then I'm good. I'm going home. You would actually be discharged very quickly, okay? Our church, like a hospital, is a place for action. It's a place to come to see what's going wrong in God's, to see his way and to help each other to follow that. And I keep learning the same thing again and again in my Christian walk. And it's the most simple thing. It's something that every adventurer can understand. And yet I keep having to learn it again and again. And that's that really the only thing that I can do, the only thing is to stay connected with Jesus. He says, you know, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And it's that simple. It's, it's really that simple and that hard. And so when we daily seek his presence, when we put our lives in his hands daily and ask for his guidance and be willing to change what we need to change. I mean, if there's stuff that we need to change, he's only asking us to change it because it's going to kill us. It's going to hurt if we don't. 
And as I said, for me, I just keep coming back to that because if I don't, I find I'm like a vacuum cleaner that's not plugged in. I can't do anything on my own. I, I still know the right words to say, but I've got no power. So my prayer today is that we will all be joined together by Christ, every supporting ligament, and that we'll grow and we'll build each other up and that we'll work together as one complete healthy body.